by Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have Paranormal Activity, starring Katie Featherson and Mika Sloat, directed by Oren Pelly. Welcome back to Rye Smile Films. Today we are closing this cask of just press record, and it's been a fun journey so far. We're finishing with a pretty pretty great film here, Paranormal Activity from 2007. And we got a lot to talk about today, just kind of talking off mic about all the behind the scenes stuff and our personal gateway into this film. So Before I do that, though, we got to retire the Jack and Coke from the woods last week and bust out the... Back to the four roses here. Something's a little more classy. Yeah, cleanse my palate. Indeed. Yeah. yeah. More than one way up. Yeah, exactly. All Excellent. Right. Thank you. You're welcome. Again, yeah, I really dig the floral tasting of this of this bourbon. It's not like any other one that I've had before. Yes. It's not a harsh start. I don't even think it's a harsh finish, really. No, it's, it's just really smooth and robust with a very floral flavor. What would you give this rating of... A whiskey based on our film ratings. Okay, truly, this is very unique. Okay. Uh, this is like no other bourbon I've tried before. I've had Four Roses regular, not the single barrel that we're doing here. Mm-hmm. That's a flavor. It's obviously Four Roses single barrel, and yeah. that's what this is. Very single barrel-like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's that's a nice bottle, mm-hmm. man. Excellent. I'll be curious, you know, if we roll this again, another bottle of Four Roses, to see if we still get that same... Floral in there because I wonder if it was just a different barrel um, of wood. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's very, very, very telling for everybody out there. Yeah, I can't recommend this enough. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it a few, oh, a few podcasts ago. You have to get on. Is it Hulu or it's, Amazon? It's Hulu. You have to watch the documentary called Neat. It is fantastic, and I'm not a big documentary guy. Mm-hmm. Steve Zahn's in it, but only in like a small few moments. It's sort of funny. Yeah. You should really check out Neat. It is quite the amazing story of the rise of bourbon. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. And I, I really I really dug that one. I'm glad you finally got a chance to watch it. Yeah. All right, so let's get right into it. I so, can't wait. This is gonna be I'm so excited to do this this, this night, one this flight. Yes, yeah. yes, let's let's dive right in. So as we always start, we start with the flight question. You know, last week it was kind of a bit of a slog to talk about the to- our favorite horror films from the nineties. Which was odd, because that's kind of a memorable decade for film in many ways. But it was kind of hard to find, like, memorable horror entries. I mean, you struggled with that one a little bit. I do. Yes, we did. However, we both agreed on one film. My three was your number one. Yeah. And I think both of us came to the conclusion that our number one yes. was one of the all-time lockdowners. Sure. So in a bad decade, yeah. there was at least a shining moment. Kind of dually for us with Scream, and then yeah. also for me with Event Horizon. Yeah, he maybe be like a two. A Scream would be like a two seed in like March Madness. Yeah, oh, <laughs> very fair. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I think well said. There you go. Right. So this was way easier. I think way we, easier. we did this quickly. So we're gonna do our top three favorite horror films of the two thousand. So two thousand to two thousand nine. Matt, I'll let you go first with number three, The Orphanage. It's yep. produced by Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the big difference. In this decade compared to the previous one in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. For me, the three choices in this are supremely interesting story. It's not just the, the common trope of the bump in the night. It is definitely that, but it's that around a very unique vehicle. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the orphanage is Peter Pan 
or a tragedy or the scariest horror movie with a happy ending. But you know how I found that movie? Mm. I was reading the newspaper and it happened to be at this obscure little theater, a one-off showing. Mm. And it said, this movie is going to scare the hell out of you. And I was like, I think I'm going to check it out. And it truly did in there. But it leaves you with such a sense of satisfaction and uh, an overwhelming feeling of all the sad happiness. Yes. Uh, it's that from Sockface to the way it's acted to Belen Ruda, who I've never seen in anything else, who is terrific in that. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro had his hands in it as far as production goes. Yeah, um, it's superb. You know what you did? So that's actually you saw that film in 2007 when I was taking your class, your film class, and you came in and said, "If you guys will go see this, I'll give you extra credit." So I, I went and tried to find it at the theater, and I went and saw it, and I was just like blown away. Yeah, like foreign horror is like. Such a great thing when it's on. It's like it's so on. That actually made my honorable mention list. Okay, okay. but again, it's our decade. I had to. There were some cuts that had to be made. Tough choices. And if that made the honorable mention, I'm dying to know what's three. Then I have a tie at number three. Again, <laughs> you love to do this. I love to do ties. It's, it, it, don't make me pick. And I make myself pick. <laughs> Jesse, the politician. Yes. So at number three, I I have American Psycho, mm-hmm. 2000 with Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. If you haven't. You should see America. It's a brilliant performance uh, uh, with Bale as Patrick Bateman. If you've never read the book, I don't know if I can recommend reading the book because it's a graphic read. And what they were able to take from the book and put into a movie is nothing short of remarkable. It's almost unfilmable Mm -hmm. based on how just uh, horrific the book is. That's just a fun... It's almost like a dark comedy Comedy, mixed with horror. Tied with that is actually going to be the first Saw. This is a franchise that, you know, kind of really, really started that torture porn genre. And that this franchise totally went off the rails, like, after, like, the second or third entry. But this first one not only introduced, you know, the movie audiences to James Wan. This was his first kind of go. For the most part, it's a singular location horror film, what we like. It's fairly bloodless apart from Carrie Alway's lopping off his foot at the end. Right. And the ending is an ending of endings. Well, the, I saw it for the first time in my room by myself, and I didn't know anything about the ending. And when it came, my jaw was on the floor. And that's not happened. It's happened like a handful of times. I could count them on my hand. Mm-hmm. That was that. That's a special film, and I, I really like to recommend that first one to a lot of people, regardless of how tainted that franchise is. Like a lot of horror, the latter iterations mm-hmm. tarnish the brilliance of the early versions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that's a landmark film. Um, like you said, it launches a genre. That's the beginning of torture porn. Mm-hmm. Now that's going to be completely bastardized from <laughs> Hostel and some of the other stuff that's going to come with it. I, I tune a lot of that out, but I, like I'm I'm always kind of here for that first saw. Uh, okay, yeah, no no argument here. Uh, doesn't make my list, but yeah, certainly a, a very noteworthy film. Sure. Okay, so number two then for me, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh god, this was hard between one and two, so I didn't do like yeah. My top three disguises my top five or six by putting two in there. Yes. I just decided. <laughs> yeah. It's close. And before I answer this, I want to ask you one question. Okay. Do you ever go back when we listen to these mm-hmm. in our own listenings? Yeah. And that's my list today. And then sometime later, like this would be my list on the other day. Sometimes. Yeah. I find myself having today. This is my list. Yeah. Okay. So number three would probably stay locked down. Number three. Okay. One and two are interchangeable for me. Number two today is Emily Rose. I love The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Mm -hmm. 
I've never seen a horror movie based around a courtroom drama. Yeah. I love Campbell Scott. That's the Gen X in me coming out. <laughs> I do. I, mean, I really like Campbell Scott. Amazing Spider-Man 2 reference. Go listen to Singles that one. Singles. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan. Um, I think it's terrifically acted. Young Jennifer Carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, Scott Derrickson. He went on to do Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yeah. I think that movie's really, really poorly, poorly rated and yeah. reviewed for no other reason than... People that say that's that it's boring are full yeah. of it too. That scene in the barn, yeah, where she's being exercised, and we're going through the laundry list of terrible things that were iterations of whatever the hell is in her, yeah, is one of the more horrifying things I have ever seen. Yeah, that's a good one. That's two for me. Excellent, Emily Rose. All right, number two. You know me; I like my horror with a twinge of comedy. So, of course, one of these had to sneak in. But talk about a thoroughly enjoyable theatrical experience when I saw it. Sam Raimi, post-Spider-Man, this is Drag Me to Hell, 2009. Allison Lohman, Justin Long. What a fun, but also kind of creepy little horror film with kind of gypsy curses. Again, Pennywise should have been a gypsy clown. But we get the full gypsy thing in here. And it's funny. It's it's frightening. The ending's shocking. You get some great performances. I love showing that one to friends because... It's PG-13 horror, and I think Emily Rose is PG-13, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. And that's hard to do. Right. It, it, I buy it in this one. Like it, it was able to kind of skirt by with that rating and still be thoroughly enjoyable am- amongst, you know. But I also got to see Raimi return to his roots. Is it your favorite Raimi film? No, it's not my favorite like Raimi film. But like it was nice to see him after going so big with three Spider-Man films to tone it down and do kind of a quasi-low-budget horror. So I loved seeing that. That's my number two. It really is where he belongs. Mm-hmm. Not to say anything bad about Spider-Man 1 or 2. Mm-hmm. Not 3, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. That's forgettable. Yeah. But it's nice to see him get back to his roots. Yeah. You can say the same about Wes Craven. It was kind of nice to see him come back and do something hard-hitting. So, you know, we brought, we talked about Wes Craven a little bit last week. Yes. And the scream... Um, <clears throat> effect. <laughs> Didn't he follow up the third scream with music from the heart yes. or something like <laughs> yes. that? And then return to finish up, do another werewolf flick? Like vampires in Brooklyn. Like, yeah, he, he followed up with some shit. There's so no... it's weird. I don't know who talked him into that music from the heart thing uh, or whatever the hell that is. I don't know. Yeah. But anyways, so Sam Raimi got back to what Sam Raimi. Sure. Yeah. That's good. That's why I kind of want him to do it again, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Number one. Number one for you. Today. Yes. Let the right one in. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. For everybody that hasn't seen it, you have to see this movie. They remade it as an American film called Let Me In. There's, It's mostly the same except for one huge difference yeah. in this movie. Yeah. And I don't want to tell you what that is on this because it is worth watching in the Swedish one. But you have never seen a scar used as effectively and as monumentally in designing one of the most wicked bad guys in all of cinema. This mm-hmm. is up there with Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. This Ely in Let the Right One In, who is a 12-year-old vampire girl, mm-hmm. is awful. Mm-hmm. And she seduces this little boy into a friendship that he thinks that he has no idea what it's going to be. Yeah. Oh, God. That movie is its scary. Yes. It's uncomfortable. It's... Oh, it, it, it's... Perfect. It's a perfect vampire film. Maybe my favorite. Close. Yeah. Not. I love The Hunger. Also, with yeah. David Bowie and Susan Sarandon. Yeah. I really do love that film. Yeah, that one's good. But 
this is a really, really excellent film. For everything about vampires that just totally got bastardized in the 2000s, like this is like such a shining example of how to do it right and in such a unique way. And based on a book, if I remember. It is. And yes. it's at that really good time in mm-hmm. Swedish television and media, right? Yep. This is the time that brought us The Killing. Oh, and uh, Dragon. The Dragon Tattoo. All that yep. shit. Uh, that's all. <laughs> all that shit. Really good, though. <laughs> That period, I, I don't have the dates down. Like we have sixty-seven through seventy-four. Like, but it's like it's like two oh five to mm-hmm. like twelve. Yes, they are just killing it. Really, and good. this is the apex of that moment. And then you had that the, this author writing books, Joe Nespo, and they totally fucked this movie up. The Snowman with Michael Fassbender. He's written so many procedural cop books, and I've read a lot of them. They're really good. <laughs> I don't know how they messed that up. That's a bad movie, actually. Yeah, really bad. Rebecca Ferguson can't even save it. Uh, no, no. And you know I love Fastbender. Like you do. he can't even save it. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm, ready for, I'm dying for you, number one. Let me list some honorable right. mentions first. Oh, here we go. Had to leave Wolf Creek off. Yeah. That's an uncomfortable watch. Yep. Uh, Final Destination. Yeah. High concepts, like quasi yeah. slasher. I, that, that's a franchise I actually really, really like. Me too. Um, and then for all, the, go ahead. What about Urban Legend? Yeah, Urban Legend. I think that's 2000. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think those two. Those two always go in my mind together. Sure. As not in any regard for the movie that they should be. Sorry, I stole your list. Okay, no, keep no, going. no, no. And I mentioned to you just a second ago, kind of this horrific remake trend we went into, like with like Texas Chainsaw, uh, Last House on the Left, etc. But if there was one in there that actually ended up pretty well, was actually Alexander Aja, the guy that directed High Tension, his Hills Hills Have Eyes remake. Yes, I think that's a hard hitting graphic uh remake of a pretty tame for the most part there's there's a pretty horrific rape scene in Gus Craven's original yeah he keeps coming up but that remake is I don't think it pulls its punches and I think it expands it they go to like Nuketown in that in that remake which is not in the original and that's a great sequence Agreed. I really like that remake okay yeah and I don't say that about a lot of like horror remakes but that's one of them no yeah um, I don't want to. I'm going to let you give your answer, and then I want to ask you of how close any of these might have been to your list. But I want to hear your answer. Number first. one, the best horror film I think since 2000 up till current day. It's in my top three, hands down. If anyone wants a horror recommendation, they haven't seen this. This is what I recommend. It's The Descent. Yeah. 2005. It's about a bunch of girls on a girls trip going, you know, cave exploring, and you know that that would probably be enough. To get locked in a cave, you got the claustrophobia, but they have to deal with these subterranean goblin creatures, and it is horrifying. Like, like we had a movie night here at my house with all my my friends, and they had never seen it. And there's has maybe one of the best jump scares in the film. We had to pause the movie for fifteen minute for fifteen minutes because not only were we like laughing because of how scared everyone got, but just everyone's reaction to that moment. It truly got everybody. It, it's got everything you want claustrophobia uh creepy creatures and i think a pretty cool story with these with these women man you hit on something there that i think is really really one of the great things about horror Mm -hmm. and that's the collective energy and the shared experience of terror provided to the audience by the film yep and man when you are lucky enough to get an audience that's into it yeah and we'll just let the movie roll Mm -hmm. and be scared and be vulnerable enough to show that they're scared yeah there's an it happens a few times in theaters sure and talk about that for me tonight in this film yep 
uh, man, that's a powerful moment. And you guys had to shut it off and you were in your own house. Yeah, we had to like pause and like kind of like get up and kind of stretch around because we were just like, it was such a moment that we couldn't just like continue after that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, so here's what I'm going to ask you. Go ahead. How close were any of the um, Jew, like Japanese remake? Um, oh, like the Grudge and Grudge, the Ring. Ringo, um, Ring, all that. I'm not like a huge Dark Water. huge fan of that 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 type of stuff. I, their, their Japanese originals are actually really good. Oh, yeah. But they're not like my favorites. That, that, that kind of Japanese ghost tour... I'm not as into it as as you know other people might might be. I actually think The Ring's one of the most overrated horror films ever. Actually, mm. but you know I kind of gravitate towards just kind of other horror. But man, like a, a great decade. Uh, it was hard to do the list. Like you just got to you just got to say that. Came back after found footage revitalized it. Sure, strong, very strong. I think it had to because I think mm-hmm. found footage is about to steal a staple in the studio system, wasn't yeah. it? Exactly. Yep. Good. Excellent. I love those lists. That's a go- off to a great start. <coughs> yep. Let's get right to it. Let's get to happy hour time and our review breakdown of Paranormal Activity. Uh, no, we're just going to film, you know, whatever happens to us. And then when any weird shit goes on, we will be in a perfect position to capture it posterity. Oh, so we can always, like, look back and remember fondly? Well, you know, hopefully once we get on camera, we can figure out what's going on. Okay. Once we know what's going on, we can react appropriately and Katie and Mika live in Carlsbad, California, in a traditional suburban neighborhood. And when the film starts out, we're kind of, we don't really are amiss to any kind of thing going wrong. We see Mika with the newly purchased gigantic consumer camera and Katie coming home kind of wondering, you know, how much did that camera cost you? Kind of type of thing. <laughs> Busting him. And it's not until over uh, over dinner that they they kind of spell out that maybe we can kind of capture what's kind of been going on. So we get in late, kind of find out that some paranormal activity has been you know happening here in this house, and now they're gonna try whatever means necessary to to capture it. Again, what we've talked about the last two weeks: why are we using this camera? Why are we recording? And what are we hoping to accomplish with that? It's very clear from the get-go with this film. I think one of the things the movie starts off doing from Mika's point of view is an attempt to prove to Katie that she just has an overactive imagination. Sure. Uh, he doesn't deny the occasional bump in the night. Mm-hmm. And the way the movie starts off, we kind of see some moments with the bump in the night. Mm-hmm. But mostly, he's a bit dismissive. And just, I think, trying to get her to get her feet on the ground and stop being so um, betwixt yeah. dramatic about these things. Good that word, have been, by the way. Thank you. They've <laughs> been uh, troubling her since her childhood. Sure. Which, again, like this is stuff that gets further explored in the sequels. But one of the reasons I really like this first entry is like we don't go too much into the details of like what happened to me as a child. We get little glimpses of it, but it's not so like shut down your throat like films two and three do it i felt really good about something i read today okay you and i have said less is more a lot oh yeah do you know who else said that jason blum about this specific movie and in in a director's panel after the movie had screened you might think jason blum knows something about horror right so (laughs) here's what everybody needs to know at the time when this movie's made we won't get into all this right now or we can if you want yeah 
Jason Blum is not initially involved in this. Yeah. He's going to see a screening as an executive at Miramax, of all places, sure. a place that carved out plenty of horrors in that regard, if you mm. want to go down that road lately. Yeah. And what's impressive about that is this movie is the start of Blumhouse. Sure, yeah. This is where... And that's kind of the dominant horror company right now. Is that fair? Yeah. And so like, to Jason Blum, yeah. because these makes great films. Yeah, like he has some kind of misses in there, but like he takes such chances on things like this. Mm-hmm. And man, talk about giving Jordan Peele a shot at making a horror film. Get out. That's him too. Rebooting Halloween with getting and somehow getting John Carpenter back involved. Like, yeah, amen to you, Jason Blum. I'd like Insidious, Chernobyl Diaries. We just on. I'd love to have a drink with the man. Oh, would oh man, no joke. Yeah, that'd be awesome. So yeah, we're we're at an interesting point in in this film. So here's something that Paranormal does differently opposed to other found footage films, especially the one last couple ones we've talked about, which is the placement of the camera for the most part. Yeah, it's Mika's the one usually you know carrying it around the house but when we're trying to capture the paranormal activity it's on a tripod that's got a wide angle lens looking not only at their bed with the door open but down the hall hallway so our focal point of view is trying to focus on a lot of different things and i think some of the horror elements that kind of play out throughout the film whether that be a shadow moving across the door or the footprints later that focus us to pay attention to kind of a wide uh, viewing area. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah. And it's nice because it's still. It's still, we can focus on it. It's not shaking around like in the Burkittsville woods. Uh, it's it's a different type of, of found footage. Still. Mm-hmm. It's such a relief <laughs> to yes. not have the bouncing camera as you're running. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a much more steady version of that. So let's get right into it. So right after this, we kind of get to night number one. And then for whatever reason... <laughs> Mika keeps wanting to make a sex tape. Like, it's like his wife, Katie's not having it. He does it like three times. I'm just cracking up because as I was watching last night, you know, like, Mika's kind of annoying. Like, as he goes about trying to egg on this paranormal, he's kind of like the guys from Ghost Adventures. He's like, come out of here, ghost, you bastard. Like, trying to, like, egg it on. Not only does he not know, he's like, he's feeding this negative energy within their house. Because each successful night uh, gets worse and worse and worse. Boy, you've just said so many things I want to talk about there. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about ghosts compared to, right now, traditional vampires and werewolves. Sure. With the legacy of vampires and werewolves before Twilight, like mm-hmm. real vampires yeah. and werewolves, what we have created with both of those characters is quite a mythology or a nomenclature of the rules that govern them. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it, maybe on mic, but off mic, a lot. Yeah. Why is it so difficult to come up with those same set of governing rules for ghosts? Yeah. I don't mean demons. I mean ghosts. Yeah. We've even attempted. We've involved thermodynamics. And mm-hmm. There's different things. This movie starts mm-hmm. to define that. Mm-hmm. And we get to, if you are in a place where you're unhealthy or toxic with someone you care about, yeah. it fuels. Yeah. The ability for this creature, entity, paranormal, ghost, whatever, to haunt you. Mm -hmm. So once the ball starts rolling, it's really hard to stop. Sure, yeah. Because if you don't sleep, and here's what I'll say, mm -hmm. not to get too far ahead of ourselves. No, go ahead. If you don't sleep, you're going to be cranky. Mm -hmm. And if you don't sleep and you're cranky and you're scared, Mm -hmm. guess who you're probably going to take that out (laughs) on? Yeah. Wife, girlfriend, ex-person with you. Whoever, yeah. And that in this film 
really is exemplified and used as one of the tools that the ghost is going to yeah, feed on. Here's the problem, though. Yeah. For the brilliance that that launches in this movie and in the second one, mm-hmm. after two, that's completely destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> and they really had gold there. Yeah. They had high concept in 100 years of movie making. We can go back to Caligari. Yeah. Early, early, early films yeah. started with horror. Mm-hmm. And they had pinpointed, Oren Pelly, the director of this film, had pinpointed that. Mm-hmm. And then by the time we get to Paranormal 3, it's that, all fucked that brilliance up. brilliance is gone, <laughs> it's man. Fucked. Like, we went to see three together. Oh, Jesus. And we were just so bamboozled at the end of this film for yeah. multiple reasons. Yeah. But we'll talk about the sequels here at the end of the at the end of the episode. So, so night one, do you want to do night one? I'll do night one. Okay. Yeah. So night one, it's it's it, it, and the film also has something else really good going for it, which is the time code mm-hmm. at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So usually we get to see them go to sleep, and then it goes into like fast forward mode, and then it usually stops, and something's going to happen. So again, we're tr- we're focusing on something in the room. We start out relatively simple. We get some kind of like some footsteps downstairs and some keys get knocked off like a counter or off the, the key rack. So kind of starting and just kind of with some noise and they go down the next morning. I just knock keys down and they're just kind of write it off. So again, we're starting small and we're building up to some pretty intense stuff. So here then at this point, we're introduced to the psychic. I love this psychic character. He actually he has a great moment later on in the film. But he's kind of coming here to kind of, kind of dispose you or kind of psychoanalyze. Uh, Doctor Fredericks. Yeah, Doctor Fredericks, Katie, and kind of their current situation. And this is where we get a little bit of it that you know I've had this kind of thing. I've felt this before, and you know he kind of assesses the house and kind of the layout, and Mika's a bit of a jerk to him. But it's kind of like towards the end of his visit when when I realized what kind of a movie we were getting ourselves into. And he's like, he's like, this isn't usually like a t- typical haunting or like a poltergeist type thing. Usually this is something associated with like demons and demon culture. And once that latches onto you, you can't leave the house. It's attached to you, the person, not the house. And so when that happened, when in my first viewing, I was like, oh, good God, like we're not like this isn't like the haunting or like a ghost thing. We're going into like some exorcist territory. Like this is like a, a demonic entity. So we're ca- we're getting that groundwork right here. Stakes go up. Demon yep. versus ghost. Obviously, a demon's much more terrifying. Mm-hmm. And we also have now taken one of the things that killed you yesterday mm-hmm. or last week when we did the the podcast about um, uh, Blair Witch. Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. The suspension of disbelief. Here's a good reason why leaving the house won't fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Like if you leave, it'll just go to the hotel room with you. Yeah. So until you deal with this, yeah. it's going to haunt you, trouble you. Yeah. And then Mika gets a little sassy, doesn't he? Yeah. And he says something to the effect that pisses off Dr. Fredericks. And Dr. Fredericks says, because what this is really after is probably Katie. Because mm-hmm. he starts talking about the Ouija board and all that crap. And he's like, I wouldn't do that. You're just kind of welcoming it in to, to be living amongst you mm-hmm. type of a thing. So yeah, what's 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 interesting, you know, also kind of like about this is, you know, the, the, we're kind of getting our warnings. We're establishing that we're staying in this house and we're eliminating our exits. We talked about that in Rec. How many outs do you have to escape? Truly, you have no outs in this type of a film. Right. You can't. No matter where you go, it follows. So it's almost like, how do you defeat this entity? 
Right. And I don't know if we, we definitely don't get that answer in this one. No, we certainly do not. Yeah. So they seem to be mostly safe during the day. Yeah. And as the nights unfold, we get what you mentioned, and that's the running time bit in the bottom right corner of the screen. I really like that element. That's something I don't think I had seen in a found footage or any horror for that matter that really shows a progression of time. I'm going to take a stopwatch to that sometime because I have a feeling Mm -hmm. that the roll of seconds on that is slightly slower than a natural second should be. Oh, sure. And it would make sense because then you're just drawing out Mm -hmm. the moment and making you wait. Because as you're sitting there in the dark and it's quiet and the numbers are ticking, your eyes are probing the dark for anything that's there. Yeah. And you don't get a lot of what it actually is. You definitely get a, there's a presence there. Yeah. But you don't really ever get what it is. No, no, no and I like that. It's okay. So it's it's such a polar opposite to last week because it's still more of what we don't see. Like we don't really see the physical form of the demon until the final paranormal film, which is so dumb. But we do get to see things happening, which is so different from Blair Witch. Instead of cackling stones in the Burkittsville woods, we get actual like footprints that are actually very creepy. But yeah. let's let's get to that. Okay. So night number two, this time we get the door moving about like two or three inches. Yeah. Now I got to tell you, I'm going to dive right into my my first theatrical experience with this film. So I mentioned last week I walked past it in a line and I was like, I got to come see this film. It's sold out. I need to see what this is about. So I came the following week with um, actually some group of kids from a film class I took and sold out. And here's another thing about horror. And we mentioned this with Quiet Place, that if something's going to pry on the quiet nature and these scenes, this, this of the hallway have this kind of droning bass that it like the bass gets really like rattly and louder as something's about to happen. Yeah. So here we are in the theater. This door moves like two or three inches. And I shit you not, like everyone in that theater is losing it over a door. A door moved like that. Gasps. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, what are we in for? Like this, they're not, it's nothing. It. This is nothing. This like, is nothing. It's exactly. literally a door move. That's, that's them. That's Orn Pelly with some string off camera pulling it this way. Right. And everyone's losing their minds in the theater. It's a strange occurrence Mm -hmm. that that had that response because I didn't have quite that, but essentially the same response when we saw it too. Mm -hmm. And it was just gasps and silence. And then like, oh my God, like everybody around, did you see that? Like it's the relieving of tension Mm -hmm. in a moment that wasn't a scream because it didn't probably deserve a scream, but it certainly deserved the discussion. And after the door moves, it's three, four inches Man, there was a very noticeable wave sure. that went through the audience. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Like, literally what you just said. Mm-hmm. What are we in for? Yeah. And frankly, you have no idea yet. Yeah, we're, start, we're starting pretty mellow. So, <laughs> right. you know, the film progresses. Mika, in the meantime, analyzes the footage. Katie gets a visit from her friend who, you know, is trying to kind of help her cope through the sleepless nights. And almost like this anxiety disorder that she's she's going through and this unexplainable nature about why things are happening. And, you know, Mika kind of gets really into it. And he keeps on bringing the Ouija board into it, but don't worry, that's coming. So night number five. So this is the one, you know, get it. And Katie just shoots right awake in the middle, in the middle of the night, kind of gasping for air. And then, like, as they're kind of comforting each other, it gets quiet again and we get a loud, a loud wall bang. Boom. Yeah. But it's it's these are like it's weird. It's almost like something's in the walls doing this. The, even the wall bangs and when doors slam, it sounds so unnatural to like how it would typically sound. 
So this movie was shot at Track Housing from one or- of Oren Pelly's uh, friends. Mm-hmm. The budget of this film, and this speaks to why it's Oren Pelly with the piece of string off screen pulling the door, mm-hmm. is $15,000. Yeah. So before we get too much further into the actual story, Oren Pelly's entertainment chops are cut actually in the video game design industry. Um, I think he might have done some Ghost Recon stuff, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. And then decides on a budget of 15k that he financed on a credit card. Yeah. To make this movie, um, I'll give him credit for rolling the dice and gambling. Well, the, their probably goal was to maybe just kind of put this in like some local film festivals. I don't know if they had at the beginning these aspirations for like a the, much like Blair Witch for like a theatrical like release in mainstream cinema. But you said this demon is in the walls, and. I think that fits because it's probably in the room next door in track housing's paper thin walls, <laughs> yeah. banging the wall, which yeah. gives you the reverberation and the echo of depth yeah. and plays perfectly. Yes. The other thing too is since we're watching it on the camera, mm-hmm. we can't quite really pinpoint exactly where the sound is coming from. Yeah. But there's some loud boom in there. So that's it's a, night five. It's either downstairs or like in the hallway. It's it's in the house. And we, and we don't even, like, I don't even think Mika ever figures out that Katie sat up. Yeah. That's weird, too. She just sits up. Yeah. And we're going to get to more on that, though, too, aren't we? Exactly. So let's kind of, like, the, the, the film shoots along to from night five to night 13, and this is where... Week of peace. This was, this was when the film viewing ex- theatrical experience changed completely. So... This is where we get like almost like a demonic like yell or scream, mm-hmm. and it's like a and then, the, and then yeah, and then the door slams mm-hmm. like loud, and then so they go downstairs, and that's when the like the chandeliers like kind of like moving, and you know I like that Oren Pelly didn't go for like the cheap scare like when they go downstairs and you know they have very low light of the camera and the living room and everything's very dark. You, you could have done something like had something poke out or jump out. But no, it's I, and I think that's that's why again you're on edge, you're on high alert for whatever's gonna happen for, within the confines of the frame. Brilliantly handled. Mm-hmm. Why do you build up the tension in the audience and relieve it at that moment with the jump scare? Yeah. Build it up and let it fester. Yeah, and that's what he does really well. And in this that's film. not an easy feat. I, I I get really frustrated in a lot of like, especially studio horror films that like. You know, there's the classic one where someone's looking in a mirror, they open it up, get some floss, and then they close it and something's like behind them in the mirror. Like, it's it's so cheap because you expect it. It's almost as original as like the creepy little kid drawing with like the family and the demon holding its hand at the end on the piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen that before. (laughs) No. (laughs) So, yeah, there's something about the cheap jump scare, but then also kind of, yeah, that festering, boiling tension of waiting for something and we don't get it. And then I think you're even more on edge, actually. That's like, it's just like, it's almost like being like sexually frustrated. Like, right. Like you're just, something's like clawing at you from, you need a release of that tension. The blue balls of horror. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's, that's a great, we patented Rice Smile Films. Hashtag. I think it's a 90 emo emo band, isn't it? (laughs) There you go. (laughs) But no, it's the same thing. It's almost like we had wanted that jump scare. That way we have that release. Now it's just kind of built in and we got to wait for the next night for it to build up even more. I think Warren Pelly has shown his masterful chops early on because you know on set they had to have been like, don't you want something to come around the corner? That's interesting that you said that too because I think me and you kind of wanted to see what it what would Warren Pelly do post paranormal. He's got some stuff. I mean, 
the kind Insidious. of yeah producing but he never really directed until he did that like area 51 right. film and it does it doesn't hold the candle to this one no way which is interesting you kind of thought he would that have been like a jumping off point for him to like really tackle some horror uh, but who knows so okay so now now, now the theater in, so in the, the theatrical experience like the theater is very uncomfortable at this moment we're getting odd sounds. We're getting loud bangs. And and again, when I talk to people about paranormal activity, I'm like, have you ever seen that? And they said, yeah, I didn't think it was very scary. My immediate next question is, where did you see it? And I'm like, oh, at home on TV. No, like this was a truly unique film experience that needed to be seen on the big screen with the use of surround sound because literally this thing's all around you. Right. And yeah, and you can't escape like the theater. I mean, you could if you want to be, want to be. A little, a little kid about it. Right. Run away. <laughs> we talked about it earlier when you were speaking about the descent and the break you needed to take. Mm-hmm. There's no break in the movie. Yeah. You like unless you what you said you're gonna be a little kid and run out and yeah. maybe go to the bathroom or mm-hmm. you know, be that guy in the front row that has to laugh at the scary moment just to show everybody in the theater that you're not scared, who that guy literally yeah. is the most scared. Yeah. He is. Mm-hmm. Um and if you're that guy, I'm talking to you, that guy. Yeah. Be in that space. You didn't go to a horror movie to laugh. Yeah, Matt's usually rolling his eyes at you when we go see these movies. So there he is. Okay, so if you have an audience that is waving through the horror, a wave of emotion is going through the aisles of horror, you catch it and you write it and it just heightens the entire experience. Mm -hmm. The same way it happens with comedy. Yes. If everyone's laughing, everyone keeps laughing. Yeah. So, but they are built on the same build tension release it yeah. laugh or scream yeah here's the thing comedy doesn't work if the gag never comes mm-hmm. horror works really well if the boo mm-hmm. is really slow to come yeah. or very sparse to come but you do need that boo Blair Witch there were people around me rustling uncomfortable fidgeting trying to find a place to be yeah. that was comfortable because the movie gives you no respite at this moment there's no sanctuary this, this is no easy feat like we're in a real dangerous territory now with this film like what Oren like he literally has the audience by the throat he can do anything at this point in this film yeah. and they're gonna lose it yeah. <laughs> yeah and what's coming next is like again it's a whole lot of nothing like we next we get i called it creepy katie this is when she gets up and we kind, we kind of just see her kind of like moseying around at the bed for like again the timestamp for two hours and we're just like oh my god lording over mika as she rocks back and forth a little bit this is what i wanted to know because like the digital effect it looks like it looks like mika's like really kind of tossing and turning in real time as it's speeding up did they really make her stand there for like two hours like doing that like I almost want to say yeah. I hope. Let's say yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, that's a question I, I I would like to have answered. But we need to sit down with Orin and Jason and have a little chat. There, don't we, we? there we go. Yeah. So then she goes downstairs. He can't find her. And again, again, you could go for the cheap jump, and there she is, just kind of moseying around outside in like some like catatonic state. That's worse. Yeah. It is worse. Yeah. I think about that insofar as what I would do if I was in that situation, and I lose my wife Mm -hmm. and i go out and i find her in some catatonic state in the middle of cold night basically in just a pair of like you know booty short or boxers and like a a wife beater like sleepwear yeah and unresponsive other than no just leave me alone and first of all like what are you doing out here and why won't you come too yeah that's terrifying. Yeah, if I was Mika at this point, I wouldn't like be egging things on anymore. I would be like, this is, might be a little more serious than I'm making it out to be. Can I give you my weekly podcast film theory? Sure, go ahead. 
I think this is why this movie for the the horror part works so well for me. Okay. I firmly believe that there is a hardwired primal element to us. Mm -hmm. And as a male with broad shoulders, one of the things that I feel like I'm supposed to be here to do, Mm -hmm. and I mean this in the most primal chauvinistic state, is to protect my woman. Okay, and I'm, I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm going to be in that space. Yeah. This movie works for men the same way Rosemary's Baby works for women. Yeah. If I think you are okay with that, <coughs> because here's the first time we see Mika He's unable, helpless to fend off mm-hmm. the droves of evil yeah. from his woman. Yeah. And man, she doesn't even seem to be all that bothered by the fact that he's rendered useless. Yeah, exactly. So what does he do? Yeah. He basically is going to throw a fit, isn't he? Yeah. Let's talk about the fit, <laughs> which is in the shape of a Ouija board. Exactly. We'll get there, but I'm, I'm... No, that's the very next scene, so let's just get right to it. You love segues. <laughs> you want to talk about my viewing experience last night? Yes, I do. Okay, so I, I watched this film to prepare for the episode last night, and ugh, I have... I, I, have ugh, Jesse, yeah, ugh, I know. Ugh. And I'm watching in the bedroom. I'm in bed. I'm very comfortable. I've seen this film a dozen times, so now it, it's not... It's, it's, it doesn't, like... It, I'm not, like, as... Because I know what to expect. My dog Ripley's laying on the bed there while while we're watching, and Mika pulls out the Ouija board. Yo, look, Matt's got God goosebumps everywhere. He pulls out the Ouija board, and Katie comes and flips on him. She's like, "I told you not to get the Ouija board. What do you What do you do? You go and buy the best fucking Ouija board I've ever seen in my life." Like, yeah, it's like it's like the Ouija board from like Crate and Barrel. <laughs> so it really is. Yeah. So he they leave. They go to like dinner, an angry date night. Have fun, Mika. And then the Ouija board, the, <laughs> right. the, the Ouija board just starts doing its thing, and it starts moving like all over without people playing with it. And then it ignites into a burst of flames. My dog last night likes to watch the TV and was watching this, and just started going, and then it burst into flames, and she was trying to get as far away from the TV as possible. And it's almost like she like through doggy intuition, kind of knew that that image and what had happened wasn't okay. You know what I mean? Like, <sighs> Yes, I know what you mean. I need a descent break. Pull the plug on this. All right, we got like 10 minutes. What the hell are you doing, Mika? Come on, help me. What are you doing? I'm going to talk to it. Look at me. I told you I was... You promised me you weren't going to... You look at me like that. You promised me you weren't going to mess with that stuff. No. I promised you I wasn't going to buy a Ouija board. Oh, I didn't well, buy a Ouija board. You knew exactly what I meant. I borrowed a Ouija board. I'm you. You knew exactly what I meant. I said don't mess with that stuff because it scared me. What do you do? You go out and you get the best looking fucking Ouija board I've ever seen and you put it in the middle of our living room? Explain that to me. I borrowed it. You know what? I don't care what you did. You're going to throw it away. We're going to leave right now. Okay. There's no more camera. There's no more nothing. I don't even want to hear it. I don't even want to hear it. Kate, No, don't kill me. I'm leaving and you're coming with me. Yeah, Matt had to gather himself for a bit. He had to take a walk outside. And that's I, so weird, you know, and that's why horror is so, so awesome, just because, yeah. you know, maybe Ripley heard something outside, mm-hmm. but maybe Ripley didn't hear something outside, yeah. and now you have that story around this. Yeah. Steven Spielberg has this story. Want well, to get into yeah, that right now? Yeah, tell it. Okay, so I'll let you do the production well, stuff on this. Let me let me lead up to how Spielberg okay. gets involved. So reverse segue. Fifteen thousand dollars they make. They take it to LA Scream Fest again. Probably just hoping to get on to like a deep or just win some awards. Mm-hmm. It impressed Jason Blum so much that you know CAA 
agency decided to sign them and then they started shipping these dvds like all over blum got one was like i want to get involved with this so spielberg got one yeah and spielberg got one so dreamworks gets involved at this point so there's some potential to have a theatrical backing here but yeah this is just more story more gasoline on the fire go ahead if you consider jaws and poltergeist steven spielberg is no novice when it comes to horror this is quoted by him as the movie that has troubled him the most. And there's some scary shit in Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. There's also some scary stuff in Jaws. It's different. But uh, the story goes, Spielberg takes this movie home to his, his house in Palisades, pops in the DVD, which is some hack you know, copy DVD, yeah. is so troubled by it that he can barely finish it. And as he leaves his room... The door closes and locks behind him. Now, if that's not true, <laughs> it doesn't matter because it's a really great story around that. Yeah. The story continues that he brings the disc back to DreamWorks the next morning mm-hmm. into work. Yeah. And he won't even touch it. It's in a like a, a trash bag. Yeah. And he says, this movie scared the hell out of me. We have to make it. And then we get into a very interesting component. Do you mm-hmm. want to do this now about the endings or yeah. do you want to wait till we get to the end? Let's wait till we get to the end. But, like, at this point, you know, there's theatrical interest in the film, but they want to, like, clean up some of the scenes, maybe fix the ending. Well, at this point, they're actually even discussing reshooting the entire film based on their story and including the original on the DVD that goes out after they make the movie. Yeah, and until they, I think they had some, like, public screenings and people were walking out. And I think it was, yeah, DreamWorks was like, oh. Let's just leave it. We definitely have to, like, change the movie. And they're like, no, 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 we're leaving because we're so uncomfortable. Right. So we're like, oh. Let sleeping dogs lie. Indeed. Okay, we'll get to the ending of that. So, okay, post Ouija board, post Ripley, post Palisades. We actually get to my favorite bit of the the film right now. What night's the worst? This is night 17. So this is is the baby powder. Oh, yeah. So what I like about this film is, like, it just continually throws new ideas and techniques at us that we haven't really seen before. Here, in order to kind of catch whatever entity there is... Mika, this is the last-ditch effort because then she's going to call the demonologist the next day. He baby powders the hallway and then the entry into their bedroom. And she's like, whatever. They go to bed, night 17, time code. It stops at 3.15. Again, the witching hour. <laughs> it's Amityville horror when DeFeo killed his family. Like it's, That plays out in Emily Rose, too. Exactly. It's that time. And we here we get, we get the footsteps. We get this, like, boom. Boom. And it's kind of hard to see at first, but you get these like footprints that enter the room and Mika gets up and shines the light. And they're very, this is again, I'm getting uneasy because it's not like a man's footstep. It's like this like three pronged animal hooved footstep. And he says something that's so brilliant. He's like, he's like, you see the footsteps go into the room, but none leave. So it obviously still in there with them. Hung out with them all night long. Yeah, so everything is like, it's chaos now. And this is like, it locks them out and it's banging on the doors and they're freaking out. I'm freaking out. And then this is the attic bit. The attic's like slightly ajar. I wouldn't crawl in the attic at this point. Like at this point, or like, but again, we don't have the easy out to just go live at a hotel or at a friend's house because it's going to follow us. I would want to leave. I'm so uncomfortable at this point. But he crawls in the attic, and what does he pull out, Matt? A burned picture of young Katie. Mm-hmm. Here's the difference between studio horror, which you've ripped on a couple times last week, versus independent horror. Yeah. In studio horror, those hooven footsteps that you talked about yeah. are probably a little kid's feet. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, it's a baby, because that's creepy in the studio world. And we see this tall nine-foot CGI thing walk into the room. Right. <laughs> and in the attic, yeah. it's not. 
an old, like literally, um, Polaroid. Yeah. It's some ah, jump mm-hmm. and get you. Yeah. Nope. This is more of the slow burn. Like you've already had a little bit of relief in that you saw at least what's been there and it's got hoof and feet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a relief, but it's some closure to a question you might have, but it has only brought up more questions like what the yeah, what are, who has what has feet like that? What's happening? And yeah. three of them? Yeah. Okay, so then, like you said, would you go in the attic? I No, and I'll give Mika some credit, I guess, because at least he's brave enough to stone up and go up there. Mm-hmm. And what you find is, and he's up there with the camera, so he's already has no ability to defend himself. Yeah. And if that thing trucks him, yeah. it's curtains because he's got no way unless he uses the camera. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't happen. You know what's interesting? That's a relief, but they finds that little picture. You know what's interesting too? Like they're they're at night. You know they sleep. They're barefoot. I I kind of find people that are barefoot too to be like more slightly more vulnerable than like people oh, yeah. that have like shoes on. Sure. Like it's not like you can like just like run, run. away. Yeah. Well there's said. something to that. It's good. Yeah. That's why, right. that's why I like Die Hard so much. You're right. Yeah. Very well said. So yes, we get the backstory in the burn picture, and you can have this. Go yeah, ahead. a little bit. So this like Katie and she lived with her sister. They had they had this kind of big house fire, and nothing like really survived. And we get this in the subsequent third entry of the film, mm. but it just adds more mystery as to how long has this shit been going on? What is it exactly? And it's at this point in the film viewing. I'm kind of wondering, are we going to see what this thing looks like by film's end? And I don't know if I, if I want I want to or if I'm going to be disappointed, but I'm kind of like, I'm on edge. This is signs all over again. Mm-hmm. This is the garagey moment, and I'm nervous for the rest of the movie because I just don't know what to expect anymore. Like, in my film, film viewing experience, I can usually precognate what might happen. Yeah. Here, oh, God, no. Like... I'm at the will of Orn Pelly, like. <laughs> so now we go into a bit explaining the picture, and mm-hmm. we find, come to find that Katie's really spun out about this, mm-hmm. and Mika has even less capability of defending her from whatever sinister means this thing has. And now there's an element of guilt too. Yep. Because had he not brought that Ouija board, which is what Doctor Fredericks told him specifically mm-hmm. not to do, yeah, it probably wouldn't have exacerbated this. Yeah. But curiosity. And hubris, testosterone, yeah, have made what I think is a fatal error mm-hmm. for both of these two. And that's Mika has crossed the line, the sensible, civilized part that the feminine provides. Yeah. He has crossed over with the savage, wild part that the male provides. And like you said, and hey, you fucking ghost, I'm here to get like that bit. Yeah, yeah. He's become that guy. Yeah. And it's not fueling... Well, this goes back to what we said earlier. Mm-hmm. It's fueling the ghosts or the the demons' ability to haunt because the negative energy is what feeds it. Yeah, you gotta have another one. Yeah, and you know what's interesting too? Now that I'm kind of just thinking about Mika's character, I don't think he has that kind of Catholic upbringing that we've had. You and I know better. Yeah, to to know better to not mess around. Well, I guess I didn't have no to know better to mess with the Ouija board because I did do that. But like the word demon and then the shit that's happening, it's so un-Christ-like that you wouldn't mess around. And we see that later because... Oh, the crucifix The crucifix, part. and he burns it. So I don't uh. think he doesn't have that religious, spiritual element to guide him into common sense. Yeah, if this is you and me, we're on our knees. 
rosary clad in 15 <laughs> different ways praying to the virgin mary offering them up to guadalupe and like yeah. you know oh my god but nope not mika but yeah you have this agnostic point of view of religion the non-believer that's truly finding stuff to believe in as it gets worse well said jesse yeah so let's let's kind of get to it so you know they're they're eating lunch there they were just kind of just going through the motions so you just seeing it and it just keeps getting now it's in the daytime because they're about to fall asleep in their own food yeah and the the, the pitcher smashes uh, and so we go upstairs real quick like what the hell happened he's checking the mirrors and it's like this vacation picture of the two of them and it's like all spider webby smashed on his face with like a big scratch across it too and he's like why is my face all fucked up and then we get a great moment too and then a great cut like katie's like it's in here it's like by me right here i can feel it and then like we kind of zoom in a little bit and we kind of just see this like whooshing of her hair and then we cut and she's halfway down the stairs like so even daytime sunlight which is supposed to be a safe haven in horror films that's not an out either so now we have to be on edge during the day so this launches them into a huge fight yeah and he tells katie (laughs) why don't you just go hang out with your little friend upstairs and then that breaks her down to where she's crying in the hallway and all of this is just further empowering yeah. that freaking demon. We're going to learn that his name later is going to be Toby. So we can go ahead and call him Toby now. <laughs> yeah. This is further empowering Toby. Yeah. And there's no going back. Here's the thing, though, at this point. Mm-hmm. Mika is so desperate to try to find a solution because <clears throat> he cares for this woman. Yeah. To, to make that right in his primitive maleness. Yeah. That every single thing he's done from the Ouija board to fighting with her to now my masculinity has been challenged so you can go fuck off with this other guy. Yeah. It's all natural reaction to scared and challenged masculinity. So smart. Yeah. So well done on screen. Yeah. And it's also so detrimental to the last 20-ish minutes of this movie. Yeah. So then like she can't call the demonologist now because he's out of town on sabbatical or whatever a demonologist does. So she has to call Dr. Fredrickson again. And this part is it's almost laughable. It is. It is. It's almost like a twinge of comedy amongst the chaos. He comes back, enters the threshold of the house oh. and was like... He's like, he's like, he's like, oh, I actually, I was like, this has actually gotten, I can sense it's gotten worse. In fact, you know what? It doesn't like that I'm here. I gotta go. I gotta leave. And he's out <laughs> his door. And they're like, wait a minute. No, you we can't, you can't leave. And he's just out. So you almost want to laugh because of just like, I just can't, I can't be here. You guys are screwed later. <laughs> <laughs> You've messed this up. Like it's a, you're at the point of no return now. So he walks in and just goes, oh. Oh, oh, it does not like that I am here. It's all, it's comedic. It's pretty interesting. And like it's it's at, at points like this too where I'm kind of hoping I'm getting so claustrophobic in this house. I'm kind of wishing that we could like go out into the front yard at least or the backyard or something. Because we're just so cooped up in the house this whole time. I want to see the world outside of here. But like this, we're stuck in here with this Toby. Toby. Yeah. So now we're going to get the big moment. Like this is like this is like, this is the one that like the theater just lost their collective mind. <laughs> so we get it set up earlier that like like that the demon at, on night 19 like kind of enters the room and like swooshy the 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 covers like above like Katie's leg. And we cut back to a little later that night, night number 20. Strick gets pulled out of bed and dragged down the hallway down with the, the door hall. slamming and her just screaming for dear life. And uh, we're just watching it omnisciently as voyeurs down this hallway. And I'm just like, gosh, I'd like to get a little closer to like maybe be like at like the threshold to kind of like see them struggling to see what they're struggling against. But then I kind of don't because I don't I don't want to see what they're up against. Right. 
Yeah, this is a real troubling moment. The theater is just fucked at this point. Like Mika out of the bed, hustles down the hallway to get her, retrieves her, pulls her back, and then there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. So they just lay there in the bed, wide awake, mm-hmm. and now what is there? Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is this... No, maybe we're not there yet. I think, <clears throat> I think it's the next bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's go. Okay, so let's do the next night. Her, catatom- well, the, her catatonically first, though, with the crucifix. Okay, so... I think the next morning mm-hmm. he finds her in the hallway. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, just kind of slow. Like almost maybe she's falling asleep. Mm-hmm. And in the hallway, what she's doing is she's holding a crucifix and she's been holding it so tight that it's actually broken the skin on her hand mm-hmm. and she's bleeding. Yeah. So then he pries her cold fingers off this crucifix, come to find that it's blood covered. And everything now goes into the fire. Ouija board, the crucifix. Does it put the oh, the pitcher. No, the pitcher. Oh, the pitcher. Yeah. Everything. He just burns it all. Like, let's just erase the entire thing. And then mm-hmm. he goes upstairs. Yeah. And Katie is in bed. Yeah. Resting. Oh, my God, Jesse. This part's so subtle and creepy. Well, it's finally he's ready to leave. He's like, come on, let's go. I got the car. Well, I got stuff ready. Let's let's, let's get out of here. And she's like, no, I want to stay. And is the camera paid? Like, he... he agrees with her yeah and as the camera pans back you can see there's a little bit of vibration that they put into her voice to give it a demonic sound yeah and this here we go yeah wry smile tickles the corner of her mouth yeah and we're like oh shit mika he doesn't see any of that no he's he's screwed oh he's screwed so the final night night 21 i just called it katie goes crazy again creepily gets out of bed goes and stands over him for like three hours and then we get the fast motion again. Then she sidles on downstairs. And then when she's like probably like in the living room or the kitchen or whatever, just screams bloody murder. Blood like, Maka! Mm-hmm. And he runs down, like just like shoots out of bed, runs down there. And we see, we hear like a struggle. I love that we don't get to see it. Some type of like struggle with a knife or whatever. His but- Katie, ah! Yeah. And then quiet. Yeah. Just get, like that. And then we get the slow pattering footsteps back up the stairs. Until you're just what you're like kind of you're almost kind of like at the edge of your seat kind of trying to leer in to see if you see something in the shadows and if you get too close then like his flying body just like like shoots you into tomorrow. And yeah, like it's at this point you're just like, "Oh my god, I'm I'm done with this film." So Mika's been thrown into the wall and there stands Katie in her sleep gear holding the knife with some blood stains. Mika's corpse-ish thing is sort of on the ground, kind of almost out of camera view, but not quite. Yeah. She crawls up to him. She gives him a very weird, like, sniff. Yeah. And then looks at the camera with the tilted head. Yeah. And gets that, it's CGI, but that crazy yeah. smile that is not human. Yeah. And then, That's just enough. at the camera. And then we fade out. Mm-hmm. This is a controversial moment in this film. Mm-hmm. Not because it ends, but because this is the ending that made it to the theatrical release. Yeah. So you want to talk about this? Because we set it up a little while ago. Sure. Okay. You want, let's talk a little bit about the road to get to this theatrical release. So after the Spielberg bid and you know Paramount Pictures is now supplying the backing, they're going to kind of release this thing very small. So very smartly, they release it in 12 college towns, like yep. a midnight movie audience. And it starts just selling out like hotcakes. And then it's at this point when you you talked about last week, we start getting a trailer of people reacting to this film. And if you want it, you have to demand it. So you go put your name into this email. It came to demandsomething.com that you want this to your theater where you're from. 
And then we get a, a, a little bit more of a release. And I, like around October 6th, October 9th, it gets the big theatrical release. I actually think we got it here a little bit before that because I went to see it here with, with that film group. And then I think we got the theatrical release. I had this crazy experience watching it. I was like, I got to go take my friends to go see this thing. Uh, so we go now when it's a big thing now, sold out. We had to get our tickets in the front row. Yeah. Ay, yeah, yeah. That was that was hard to watch. Like, and I'd already seen it, and like, everything's just like more in your face. My friends were so uncomfortable. It's too bad too because I think you probably went that second time to watch how the audience was going to react, and in the front row, you you can't see. No, I, you needed I, to be in the back. Row. I did get to see my friends react, and it was nothing short of like remarkable. It yeah. was like it truly disturbed them like to their core. So this, this theatrical release is one that when it came out theatrically, Pelly wasn't entirely thrilled with. Yeah. So Spielberg got his hands on it mm-hmm. and went through the whole Palisades thing that we talked about and then said, we need to fix the ending. And here is, I think, $4,000 yeah. that you don't have to finance to redo the ending. <clears throat> and we get two shot endings and mm-hmm. one scripted. So yeah. you take what you want and I'll take what's left. Yeah, the original one that screened at Screamfest was kind of like this whole bit where she kills Mika with, with the knife and is upstairs kind of rocking. Her friend comes over and runs. That's the original. Yeah. That's the original. Ending. Runs out and then the police come. Like, that's too much. There's so much going on there, like, at, at that ending. So after Mika's dead in that one, I think she rocks for a day and a half. And yeah, you, yeah. you hear the answering machine answering the phone. And then the cops come in. Yes. And we just see Katie's just rocking back and forth, still possessed. Yeah. And the cops are downstairs. You hear, hey, is anybody there? And then Toby flicks on the light yeah. in the hallway, which draws the cops upstairs because the light has just come on. She's got the knife. And they find Katie with yeah. the knife. And about the time they show up and find Katie with the knife, the demon leaves and she comes to her natural state and stands up holding the knife. Yeah. And they cold blast her and leave her dead on the bed. Yeah. I don't know why Pelly was so upset about them not using that ending other than this is my precious masterpiece. Is it, there's too much going on there. It's not a great ending. It's a, there's a lot of waiting for it to end, actually. And it doesn't allow any franchisability, which we agree, for good and bad, is yeah. an essential piece of horror. Yeah. So then there was another ending filmed, and I think, and this one's on the, the Blu-ray release uh, of Katie killing herself in front, of, in front of the camera, just kind of slitting, slitting her throat. That one's really weird. Mm-hmm. The sound on that. Yeah. Is it- and she just cuts her own neck yeah. in front of the... It's basically the same thing with Mika. Yeah. He doesn't get thrown against the wall. She leaves him downstairs. Yeah. And then she just boom, 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 comes up. And you can find all of these on YouTube. If you want to look up, look up Paranormal mm-hmm. um, number one, alternate endings. Yeah. And you, she just cuts it and then topples over. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that's a great ending either. And talk about the unfilmed one. So this one would have been weird. And I think this goes back to what you and I didn't like about Blair Witch. So yeah. I'm glad they didn't do this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we talked about before she goes downstairs on that final night and yells Mika to then stab him. There's the rocking bit over him. That happens again. And then after a couple hours of rocking, she finally, I guess, just gets sick of him Mm -hmm. and walks over and grabs the camera and bludgeons him to death with the camera. I don't know how that looks with the camera, and I'm glad they didn't do that one either. Yeah. they Again, went, I'm not, I'm I think not, I think they went with the right ending. Yeah. I, I like this. That's what I was gonna say. I'm not Pelly. It's not my movie. Yeah. Of my preference, and I've seen three of them. No one has seen the one. And I actually read that there is actually B-roll footage mm. of that, but mm. it's impossible to find, which mm. only yeah. drives more traffic. So maybe it's self-serving. Sure. I yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I the, think the one we get's the best one. Yeah. This this works for me. So fifteen thousand dollar budget. 
uh, worldwide gross, including U.S. tickets, $193 million. It's the most profitable film of all time, still to this day, beat Blair Witch for a return on investment. Like, that's amazing. Fifteen. Thousand dollars yeah. generates. What did you say last last two or it was like it was like two fifty. But Globally. they they spent a little bit more on Blair Witch. <sighs> That's crazy, man. insane. This uh, this genre, this little subgenre of horror, has had two monster hits. Well, per three films, it's the highest it's the highest ROI of all film in the history of film. Am I not Correct. mistaken? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it's cost and then return. Yep. Man, the second one's made for under two. I think. Yeah. So yeah, so naturally you get a gross of 193 off of that. What are you naturally going to do? Oh, we got to make a second one. The second one retains a lot of the simplicity that I like about the first one. I think it's good. And even adding multiple cameras throughout the house, security mm-hmm. cameras. So they're keeping it fresh. It's not until film three when this thing just totally starts getting fucked. Like three with the witches and the witch cut. We went and saw and we were just like, what? The? And all the footage left on the cutting room floor. Well, you, you, now, there, now there's ties to Catfish. Yeah, exactly. You got and those directors involved. So, of course, there is a fake trailer, which isn't the movie. If you want to watch a really good version of Paranormal Activity 3, mm-hmm. go watch the trailer. Because everything that's good in that didn't make the movie. <laughs> yeah. It really didn't. <coughs> None of that shit's in the movie. The, yeah. the Bloody Mary bit's not in the movie. Mm-hmm. Most of, like, the, the creepy, again, overplayed. Yeah. But the... The closet with the kid drawings, the paranormal demonologist guy getting his head bounced off the table. None of that's in the film. Instead, they took all that and sat up there and laughed at the movie that we wanted to see. And instead, we got witches. <laughs> the witch coven. Yeah, no, you bailed after that. I was That was out. I have not seen one since. I stayed on the train and the fourth one's the little kid from the second film that gets taken by Katie. And they like move in across the street from this family. And again, the witches show up again. It's it's, and then the the fifth one, uh, the marked ones. It's a side cool. It takes place in Mexico, doesn't it? It's like it's like it's still Los Angeles. Oh, but like it has ties to like that one wasn't great either. And then the fifth one, the ghost dimension. They actually go into the world that the demon lives in. You get to see a physical form of Toby, and by then you're just like, good God, really? Like this this is like Halloween, the Curse of Michael Myers, the freaking Celtic ruins. Like this this franchise just totally jumped the shark by then. Yeah. It, we're so far removed from the utter simplicity of this first film, which was just a camera on a tripod. That's why I love it so much. Jason Blum said, "Less yep. is more," and he was right. Exactly. And then, like, there, there's a there's a knockoff like studio out there that profits on people's either dyslexia or ability to like read a cover of a DVD. It's Asylum Films, and they make knockoff. They've made Transmorphers off of Transformers. And just are like a hunter versus like alien or something like they, they just totally screw with people. So they made one of these called Paranormal Entity. Me and my friends watched it. It's awful. It's one of the it worst. Really? It's one of the worst things ever. But it's a studio that totally tries to bank on just people just like, oh, that's that Paranormal Activity movie. How let's funny. let's rent that back when you rented movies. Yeah, they probably they're probably out of business right now. Probably. So yeah, it's this we've talked about the the filmic experience, the franchise, you know, our viewings of it, the the history, the actual story. So I think time now more than ever, let's rate this thing. So we got Rocket, Well, Call, Single Barrel, and Top Shelf. Matt, where are you at with Paranormal Activity? Top Shelf. It's a landmark horror film. Mm-hmm. Ten best of all time. Uh, it still troubles me when I see it uh, at night. Mm-hmm. I find myself probing the darkness with sound. And 
it was wildly effective, mostly because I've thought about it a lot. For me, it's everything that I mentioned with my theory and how it challenges me on a biological level. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, it completely works. Like, I still find that movie really creepy. Yeah. Um, You know, I do it in my film class. Mm -hmm. My students still struggle with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the busy cameras not screwing with us the way it does in the other ones. Yeah, yeah, Jesse, it's 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 a terrific film. Yeah. Obviously, you can tell from my review why I like it so much. Yeah, so I don't need to go into the reasons why we just did that for an hour. Yeah, I think it's great. I the, love it. This one's probably making your top three if you're including it, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. right, it, for sure. Yeah, I try. I try Today. not. I try not to include what we're talking about like in the list, just so we can kind of give it its own voice. Right. But yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm like at single a uh, single barrel plus. I'm like really high up there. Uh, this is truly, I think, theatrically, this was like my Exorcist moment. Mm-hmm. For all those that got to see The Exorcist in 1973 on the big screen and were so deeply affected by that film, and rightly so, yeah. being that I wasn't alive around that time i didn't get to have that moment this is as close as i think as it's gotten in the theater for me with horror to be with such a collective of an audience that was so unanimously affected by what was happening on the screen but not in a grotesque like like make me disgusted kind of way rob zombie uh it was it was different it was it was psychological it was what i wasn't seeing it was it was what it was showing me mm-hmm. and it was truly like what was happening around you the way people were reacting were making me react a certain way i was like well i'm i'm nervous too like i'm just trying to hold it in and it's making me sick <laughs> so <laughs> if these people are going to go there i'll go there with them and then you get an authentic response to the movie exactly so i think that's unparalleled yeah uh, yeah. The franchise, like I like I mentioned, would you say single barrel plus? Like single barrel plus, okay. yeah. yeah. We're, we're right there. We're on the cusp of getting into some pretty unique like films. Rarefied air. Yeah. So the franchise went in the direction it went, but there's for me it doesn't really taint this first film because I always have this the, this first film. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's where we're at with that. This has been fun talking about found footage. You know, it was great to show you Wreck for the first time and just kind of like see your reaction to to that film. Kind of revisit Blair Witch and like as perplexing as that was and just kind of talk about like our experiences into paranormal activity and kind of how unique that is. So I think paranormal activity is unique too is I don't know if we're really going to get like that type of theatrical, as we move more to like streaming and in-home movie release experiences, maybe the theater type of experience is going to probably maybe die out maybe in our lifetime. I don't know. I, I hope not. I hope not either because I love watching films in the theater. But we might not ever have that again with horror, like something that starts slow and just expands into something gigantic. It's, it's truly unique. Yes, it is. And different for everybody the people that i talked to that said they don't like this film Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just they don't like horror and if you don't like horror i get that but a lot of times it has to do with we just thought it was funny and everybody in the audience was laughing yeah if you got that audience which Mm -hmm. is a possibility yeah it probably didn't help the viewing and it doesn't it doesn't doesn't help any horror film really and some there are some moments in horror that are bad and they're laugh worthy I would argue, I think I can back it up, that yeah. this is not one of those. Yeah. That's if what, you think it's funny when Katie's being drugged down the hall, mm-hmm. you're laughing because it is so uncomfortable to watch that you have no other release. Because that is not fucking funny. Yeah. 
That, or you're or you're soulless. Yeah, and that's why I like horror comedy so much, and why it's so hard to do because mm. you get a little bit of both. Not only are you getting like the typical boo fare, but you're getting that comedic release too. Like it to me, John Landis's American World in London, I think, does that the best. Yeah, and it's not easy to do, but that's why I gravitate toward like Sam Raimi's kind of slate of horror because watching that with an audience, there's places for them to naturally laugh. But then there's places for them to naturally be scared. We get one laughy moment in this, like you said, with the doctor. Yeah. I got to get out of here. This is bad. Yeah. But, but like talking to like, go back to hereditary. I don't think we're laughing at like really anything in that film. There's not like, there's not like a joke moment. Those people in front of us when we saw that movie tried to be that laughing group to start. Yeah. And it, do you remember? They were pretty quiet at the and end. And by the end, they were quiet yeah, as hell. They were pretty freaked out. Yeah. Excellent. So let's talk about found footage one last time. And, you know, besides everything we've reviewed, this is a genre that's transcended science fiction and, you know, partying and horror. Uh, besides what we've reviewed, what's your favorite found footage film? I already know what you're going to say. Yeah, I just do. I just want you to tell the, the Rye Smile audience. It's Chronicle. I love it. You know how much I had great hopes for Dane DeHaan. Mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan's in it. Mm-hmm. It's everything that Josh Trank showed could have possibly been good. Talk about a story there. And then what happened with the Fantastic Four and basically how he's blackballed himself from Hollywood. No one will even touch him now. Yep. Uh, A lot of people didn't see that movie. Yeah. Everybody should see that movie. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that film. Found footage superhero. Yeah. Yeah. With a really plausible way as to why that it, why it would happen and how it could happen. It's like taking the parts that are great about Unbreakable but adding like this like third person omniscient camera view to it. And if I'm being like again what you just said is it's hard to not pick the movie that we're doing in the top three. Yeah it is. This would be in the discussion. Sure. Yeah. And number two would also be in the discussion. Mm-hmm. I like number two probably I like sorry I like Chronicle more than I like number two of Paranormal Activity. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I like Chronicle more than this, they're probably both equal, but I'm not going to say this. Yeah. So it's Chronicle. Yeah. And I don't feel bad about saying that. No, that's that, that that's a good one. Wreck is up there with a bullet. Wreck is top five with I'm, a bullet. I'm glad you liked it. Like you know, you I really want to see Wreck two now though. I think you would like it. Yeah. Because like it like to me, Wreck and Wreck two kind of take the alien aliens approach. Mm-hmm. Like alien or Wreck two is very more like a little more action oriented, but it still doesn't hold back its punches. It's still pretty freaky. Okay. So you have it. I'm going to borrow it. Let's hear what your number one. Excellent. Excellent. The one I would pick. And, you know, this is, you know, post all this paranormal stuff, you know, we're still, we had like Chernobyl Diaries, which was kind of sucky. Yeah. And uh, that other one, um, I think you mentioned it. Ah, damn it. It'll come to me. But we got some kind of interesting anthology fare with found footage. They made VHS1, which uh. was pretty good. But if I had to pick between. The VHS, I have to pick VHS 2. Really? Yes. I've never seen it. VHS 2 features, it's five segments again, mm-hmm. and it kind of follows the same thing. Actually, um, one of the, the uh, Eduardo Sanchez, I think is his name, that directed Blair Witch, one of the co-directors, directs the middle segment. <laughs> it's this zombie GoPro uh, segment, oh. which is pretty interesting on a bike. But the two in there, Safe Haven and Slumber Party Alien Abduction, are oh my god! It's 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 so it's so well done, and it's some of the freakiest shit you'll ever see. But yeah, they they they've taken like like the anthology idea of like creep show and like what makes like anthology horror, which is also very hard to do. Twilight Zone the movie, and they found yeah. a way to do that, but with found footage. 
That first one has some great segments. We like that one where the friend takes her friends to the oh, woods yeah. and is like, going to off them all off. The segments in VHS 2, I think, are just a little bit better. I really like that film. I, I did kick around the idea of VHS yeah. 1. Yeah. There's two segments I particularly like. It's the one you talk about, and this is the slasher horror that you're mm-hmm. going to write one yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I'm going to bring my friends up here to the woods and use them as bait to catch this thing because I'm the survivor from a previous encounter with masked wooden serial killer. Yeah. God, that's such a good idea. Yeah. And the other one that I really like in there, I can't believe this is coming up again. Yeah. Is the vampire the one. The succubus one. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That one's really good. Yes. I think that's a tragically underrated and underviewed film and widely panned and I don't get it. Like, I gotta what's t- wrong with VHS 1? I gotta tell you just don't like horror. Yeah. Or like I, found footage. I gotta tell you, I was real hesitant to even kind of consider VHS like... Um, to watch it because yeah. I was like post Poughkeepsie tapes and go listen to the shot episode on why I'm like that. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I can't like experience if it's going to be like that. Or like it's going to ruin me. I'm going to die. And it wasn't. And it was it was like what horror is for me. Yeah. Like these playing with science fiction, alien abduction, like cults and crazy shit. I, yeah, VHS is fun. Yeah, like it, it found footage is it's kind of in a dormant period right now and maybe it'll stay that way for a few years what i'm curious about with horror you know we got like this whole conjuring universe and still some kind of good independent stuff coming out like what's the next phase for horror i know it's gonna happen i know it's on the horizon we just haven't seen it yet and that's gonna totally shape the 2020s (laughs) well we're trying to go through another Stephen King phase. Yeah. We are. But I don't know if it's... to Dr. Sleep, but that's reheated. But I don't know if it's being done very well either. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. What's the next new thing going to be? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But it's going to be... Are we going to get like big into like ghosts? Are we going to like... I, I, I want the slashers again, but that's just my heart speaking to the film going audience. Do you know who I think is going to have a big say in that? Mm. I think it's going to be Ari Aster. Yeah. Like if you take those first two entries mm-hmm. from Hereditary and Midsummer, which you and I mm-hmm. are going to tackle here at some point, mm-hmm. there's the way Rob Zombie is so off-putting when he does horror is what Ari Aster does so well in his. Mm-hmm. It's they're both really hard to watch. Yeah, but Ari Aster has kind of the boy next door feel. Where Rob Zombie has. I don't know. He's that weird kid in class that I didn't want to be friends with. Who like had all the Iron Maiden Eddie shirts and knew every single song by them. To the Bruce Dickinson Love Child. I know you can do so much where you kind of turn off your audience. Yeah, he's really good at that. Yeah. But Ari Aster isn't. Yeah. I don't know what's next for him. I'm really curious to see what his next project is going to be. Yeah. Or maybe not. Maybe he's going to be M. Night Shyamalan, but I, I don't think so. <laughs> We have to, we, you and I have ties to Ari Aster. Yeah, that's it's great. We'll have to talk about that when we talk about Hereditary. I hope we can get him one day. But Do you hear that? We're gonna try. We're we're working. Yeah, we're try to get him one day on the we're, on the on the show. It's not as far as it might sound on this. <laughs> it's really not exactly. But yeah, I, I can tell you, I don't think it's going to be torture porn. I think that's been played out. I think the remake train has kind of exhausted everything from the eighties they possibly can. Found footage is like I said, dormant. What's it going to be? Political like, horror? No. Like, it's going to be something that's taken for, like, maybe we're going to go into, like, like a cool sci-fi, like, horror, like, from the 50s again. Like, with, like, creatures and monsters that are truly terrifying. I'd be okay with that. I just don't know. But I'm ready for it. And this genre will do it because it's been going strong since freaking Thomas Edison. Are you kidding me? 
We're in a pretty good space with horror. Oh, no, I think... We're right now, like, we're in a pretty good space with it. I think yeah. it's liked. Yeah. They've got some pretty mm-hmm. avant-garde... You know, this. let's do this on here, because there's two things I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. You like that horror science fiction piece. Did you like the Mothman Prophecies? I like the film, but I don't like Richard Gere, kind of for, like, Clive Owen-y reasons. <laughs> that movie's really creepy, isn't it? Yeah. Again, urban legend type affair. Also, we have ties to Gary Goldstein too. <laughs> yes. We really do. Like that's that's probably even closer than Ari Aster. Yeah. That's a phone call away if we want to hit it. There we go. And the other one is that I wanted to ask you is did you ever see Rabid? Cronenberg. Yes. Rabbit? Yes. And Virus Horror. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, there's actually a remake of that coming out, like like straight to DVD. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, cause again, zombie that's played out too. I know it. Yeah, I think the vampire has kind of died with Twilight a little bit. Someone will find a, a cool way to kind of bring that back. Yeah. But yeah, what's it gonna be? But I'm here with the four roses, ready to see what that is. Me I'll too. I'll be there opening night. We will be excellent. So this has been a fun cast. I hope the listeners have had a great time watching it. Uh, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Direct message us, comment, like our stuff. We love engaging with the listeners. Like you guys got some great stuff too. You know, you guys are like you're like truly making this totally worthwhile, which is what it's all about. Matt and I like doing this, but if people are enjoying the ride, it's all the more better. So, do you want to preface what's coming? We got it. We're next week. We're gonna have a small batch review. We've done this uh, occasionally. We don't. We're not gonna tie a whole cask into it because we're gonna still stay horror for October. We kind of have to, right? Yeah. <laughs> for those of you that are rolling your eyes, we have something very different after the next cast that's not horror. Exactly. So, yeah. It's gonna be fun, but I think our people like horror, like yeah. especially what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna hit some big heavies, indeed, coming up. But next week we're gonna do a small batch review. We have to talk about it. Uh, October fourth might it involve a clown. Might involve a clown. It part three. Oh, wouldn't that just like kill you and put you in the ground? Yeah, yeah. It's Joker. Yep. Joaquin Phoenix. This Joker standalone film in the DC uh, film slate. I'm excited to see this film, but I also don't know what to expect from it. As we've talked a lot off mic. Is Joker A, the protagonist and the antagonist of this film? And to me, that's considerably troubling. Welcome to our first look at Oscar bait. Yeah. Because here's coming Best Actor yeah. nominee for sure. And I'm and I'm betting he's going to play the character really well. It's just, how's that character in relation? Because I've grown up with watching Batman and the Joker be such antitheses of playing off each other so well. Is in the films, the cartoons... Freaking Adam West and Cesar Romero. Like, they've been doing it for decades. Yeah. A film without Batman, only Joker. How's that going to (laughs) work? Well, not to get too far into this because it's what the whole thing is. DC has already hedged their bets on it, haven't they? This is not necessarily Batman canon unless it makes a lot of money and then it will be Batman canon. Yeah. So maybe this is part of the universe. But maybe it's just a story about the Joker that we just wanted to tell because we liked it. I mean, they're going all in, R rating, like. From now till a year from now, Jesse, Mm -hmm. how many Joker movies do we have coming? Isn't he in Suicide Squad? And isn't there, isn't he in the um, the next Batman with uh, Twilight guy? No, he, the, 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 he's, I don't think. Which, by the way, I read something that, that I'm actually stoked for that. But anyway, so go ahead. Yeah, um, I don't know if he's going to be, maybe he will be, I don't know. I don't know where the Jared Leto Joker film stands. I hope it's dead. I don't know. Like, it's we're going to get a lot of Joker here pretty soon. From one to possibly four yeah. within the next 
two years. And yeah, I know Shazam was well liked, and it was kind of lukewarm, yeah. lukewarm on us. And Aquaman was a bit, but they still they need they need another hit. They do. They're so far behind on Marvel. They they need this to to work in a, in in a big way. Yes. <laughs> Let's just see if it works for us. <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Are we gonna go together? Yeah. Um. Uh. We're gonna have to. I think we are. I think so. Ex- excellent. So cheers, Matt. Cheers, Jesse. I gotta go. I'm gonna go check out my dog. If she's still barking at the Ouija boards, I'm out of here. I'm leaving before you even go investigate that. <laughs> okay. I'm out of here. Like me and my goosebumps can't handle it. I'll be sure to film it for you in a in a blue lighty uh, above above the bed kind of way. Jesus, I grab my crucifix. <laughs> Excellent. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, and Stitcher Radio. And leave us an email at ricemileproductions at gmail.com. Paranormal Activity is property of Blumhouse Productions and Paramount Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. Mika! 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 Mika!